your host as always. Well, the garden has been booming, absolutely booming, so much that I've been a canning fool. Whatever the garden puts forth, I put into jars. I use both the water bath canner and a pressure canner, preferring the pressure canner actually, as it is generally faster, but then it depends on what is being processed. Thank goodness the exhaust hood over the cooktop takes the heat and steam outside. Why stress the air conditioner inside the house? This week I tore the pantry apart, cleaning the shelves, rearranging jars of food, getting everything organized, labeled, and wiped down. It is lovely back there. We used the metal wire rolling racks with six shelves. Easily adjusted and very handy. The bottom shelf is now for honey and small appliances like slow cookers, the popcorn popper, citrus juicer and stuff. I found out the hard way that if I put food items on the bottom shelf, they get lost and are dead to me. Hashtag 10 year old applesauce. One rolling rack in the pantry holds a few shelves of our store-bought items. I call it going to the store when I have to get something off a shelf back there. Three more units hold canned goods and another pair of shelf units is for larger pots and pans, the stock pots and canners, as well as laundry and cleaning supplies. On the ends of the racks hang stuff like cast iron fry pans and griddles. A couple cast iron items came from Blind Hog's mom. Cast iron lasts forever, and as you know, it only gets better with age. Another pantry idea that has worked out well is using an old four-drawer file cabinet to hold baking pans. One drawer is for muffin tin and tube pans, like the bunt pan. Another drawer for round pans and springform pans. Another drawer for bread pans and loafs. And the last drawer for odd things like the bamboo steamer trays. It works great. Pans can just be tossed in the correct drawer and that's about as far as it goes. Instant organization. A whiteboard in the pantry gets plenty of action. When the last item of a store-bought thing gets put into use, we write it down on the whiteboard for a future shopping list. No more scraps of paper here and there. On the top of the pantry carts are boxes and boxes of canning jars, washed, labeled, and ready to go. I can tell the garden has been doing well as the jar numbers are dwindling down. Down to eight cases of quartz and only two cases left of pints. There are also a few odd-sized jars, the 24, 12, and 8-ounces, and they'll get used eventually. 
all the canning lids are organized in a wire basket thing we got from Ikea. I like to use the two-piece Tatler canning lids, white plastic discs with rubber sealing rings, and you still use the metal rings that came with the glass jars to clamp everything down. The lids are reusable and long-lasting. Oh, Ikea, how much I miss Ikea. One day I'll be able to go to Ikea, either in St. Louis or Kansas City, I don't care. Both are about three and a half hours from the farm. And I'll flop into one of their little display rooms and have me a sit-down. I'm just going to soak it all in. I don't know how I came to like Ikea so much. In the last 20 years, it has just really grown on me. Big time. I look around the house and I see Ikea products all around. Hell, I'm sitting in one right now. My Ikea office chair. Kitchen drawer units have their clever LED lamps that light up when you open the drawer. The magnetized knife strips, metal shelves, glass-doored bookcases, chairs, floor lamps, hanging lamps, our bed frame with drawers, bedding, curtains, pillows... The list goes on and on. And yes, I have a merit badge for Pro-Ikea Assembler, and Blind Hog just leaves me alone to put together whatever needs assembling. He says it brings me joy, and he is quite right. In the meantime, there's the garden. With all the summer squash and tomatoes coming in, along with funky little eggplants and the earlier garlic harvest, I got the bright idea to make a big batch of ratatouille and can it up. Ratatouille is nothing more than your summer garden vegetables, chunked up or sliced prettily, glazed with olive oil, and broiled. For my recipe, I followed an idea from The Spruce Eats, one of my favorite recipe websites. Whole tomatoes go under the broiler, as well as the chunked up vegetables, which, most important, need to be a single layer, so they all get nice and toasted. Once all the vegetables are broiled, they're dumped into a big stock pot, seasoned, and brought up to a boil. Pack that into hot jars and process in a pressure canner. Voila! The first batch I made filled 28 pints. The second batch is a little different. Once I had everything in the big stock pot and it was cooked down to my satisfaction, I attacked it with the immersion blender and pureed the lot. Genius, if you ask me. I wanted a nice tomato-based sauce that I could use for a variety of recipes and thought that the chunky ratatouille, although it's delicious, was just a start. Blending it into a puree made it so much more versatile. I made eight and a half quarts. Fill up those shelves. The fall plants are coming along, the pole beans beginning to flower, okra too, and the melons are setting fruit. Cabbage, broccoli, and cauliflower starts are all tucked into their bed, just waiting for the rain. I'll admit, I actually pulled up a couple zucchini and yellow squash plants. They were crowding out the okra. 
Again, we continue to have all the big storms skirt around us. It is so frustrating to watch the clouds go by and watch the radar. Oh well, we see this. Last week, Blind Hog and I worked the goats. I've been dreading doing this and it needed doing. The goats had been sleeping in the old goat barn, so it was easy to trap them all in the alley. Perfect. That done, we could run some in a pen and force a few of them at a time into a fenced corner where we could contain them, grabbing each of them one by one. Blind Hog got to be the holder of the wiggly goats, and most of them were not happy. I'd check the eyelids for color, pale being in need of a dewormer, and treat them if needed with a drench, and again, mark each forehead with our pink livestock crayon so we'd know who had been worked and who hadn't. I also brought a clipboard and a pen, writing down each goat ID number as we went along. We started at 6 a.m. knowing it would be a hot day, and by 9.30 we were down to the last eight. Blind Hog was about spent and ready to fall out. Good thing the last few were mostly little kids. It turns out we have a hundred head of goats. Tomorrow I plan on unrolling the woven net fence behind the house to make an area that we can open up to the goats. Shrubs and bramble bushes await them. This contained area will be mowed down by the hungry, hungry hippos in only two to three days. I'll take before and after pictures. I can't let the goats loose in the yard. They would immediately go for the lilacs and fruit trees, and jumping on the car and trucks is not an option. Nay, nay, putting out the net fence is a pain, but I can also juice it up with the fence charger and they'll be contained quite nicely. There are actually people who make a living hiring out their goats to mow. The big Google headquarters famously uses goats around their campus, and some towns in California use Rent-A-Goat to take down the weeds. I even think the Park Service uses them in some areas to control that undergrowth. Hey listeners, do you miss me after hearing last week's episode? I know you do. Don't worry, I will be back. But I am here now to remind you to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it too. You know the drill. Don't forget to check out the website www.blindhogandacorn.com to see the pictures Acorn has posted under this week's episode. Leave a comment for Acorn. Tell her you want to hear more from me. Might be the only way I get more airtime around here. Blind Hog has been getting firewood ready for the winter. I think he has a little over a cord done, maybe more. He's been cutting dead trees in the woods, sawing them into six-foot lengths and bringing them home to the house. Once here, he'll use the electric chainsaw to cut them up into smaller pieces, and if needed, he'll fire up the wood splitter to split them further. Well, a couple weeks ago, going back and forth, dragging sections of a tree out of the woods, he rolled his foot on a stick while going down the steep bank and fell on his side. 
Hours later, a big pump knot appeared above his right hip. Nothing like being on a blood thinner and having a hematomata. The bruises, lovely shades of the rainbow, now wrapping around from belly button around his side to his spine. It is most impressive. Good thing it hadn't slowed him down, just gives him a twinge every now and then. Speaking of slowing down, the two old cows, Calpurnia and Lupin, who calved a couple months ago, are back in with the bull and the other two cows. Fintan the bull has been calling to these two girls from the other field, knowing that they'd calved and had resumed cycling, ready to be bred back again, and the girls have not helped matters either by calling back. All the cows singing the songs of their people. We had separated the herd into the two groups back in the spring, as I wanted to give the two arthritic cows a couple months to recoup after they calved to tighten up their hip ligaments before allowing the bull to even come near them. However, I can't wait too long and chance having calves late in June and on into the summer. All the heat and flies. It is not ideal. If they got bread today, they would calve in May, which would be just fine. The three calves have formed their pack and run together. Sophie, Lilith, and the little steer. Pie, the cow who still has not yet calved, is so round you would think she was going to have twins, but her udder is still small. As old as she is, 16, she might not build her udder until hours before calving. We see this. So I look at her hip ligaments for signs of imminent calving, and so far there have been none. But Acorn, aren't there ways to check to see if a cow is pregnant? Why, yes, there is always palpation where you put your arm into a long vinyl sleeve and go into the rectum of the cow up to your armpit. You use your hand to gently feel on each side for an enlarged uterine blood vessels, or you can even gently palpate the fetus in the horn of the uterus. Now, if the fetus is really developed and has dropped down into the abdomen, you just might feel the top of its head or a limb or something. I have not personally palpated. Next time I have Doc out here, I may get him to teach me how to do it properly. I could also run pie into the squeeze chute and take a blood sample. For a few dollars, you can mail 3 mLs of blood and collect it in a vacuum tube. Send it to the lab and they'll run a pregnancy check. It's cheap, like $2.50 a sample. It costs more to mail it than it does to run the test. If she doesn't calve by the end of the month, I may just do this. If she is not pregnant after being with the bull for 12 straight months, her productive years may be over. But I bet she'll have a calf soon. We've had cows as old as 19 calve, and Pi has not missed a year yet. Blind Hog says if she has a heifer, we should keep it because Pi has very good genetics. No arthritis, and she's a low-maintenance cow. The goat boys are reacting to the shortening days. The black Spanish buck has already gone into rut. 
anointing himself with urine, and he is so stinky. You can smell him from afar. Grady, the dairy buck, is acting the same, but is not nearly as odiferous as the Spanish buck. Fred and George, the Weasley twins, are so laid back, they probably wonder what all the effort is for. Dude, chill. It's not time for breeding yet. This is how things will be until December. The smell of buck stink. Luckily, there's a guy who will be buying the Spanish buck when he comes back to pick up the dolings he chose. And that should take care of a good 80% of the caprine aroma. I won't be breeding the goats until late fall, aiming for April kids. The dairy girls can have their kids between February and March. There are only four of them, and I can handle that in the cold months. I'm still milking the dairy queens. I have ten nice cheeses so far and all that skier and mozzarella in the freezer. I'm saving up milk right now. I need four gallons. To make another Swiss Emmental-type cheese. Getting five quarts a day each morning, it'll still take four days' worth of milking. I'll milk well into August and then let the girls dry on up. No more milking for the year. I'll let them have a couple months to put condition back on before they get bred, and it'll give me a little bit of extra time each morning. I really cannot complain about the once-a-day milking. It does keep you home, though. Not that we can travel anywhere at the moment. We did have reservations this September for a trip, but the destination is not even going to be opening up. The plane tickets are not refunded in full. Instead, I have credit now for travel through December of 2021. I'd made all the transportation reservations back in February, booking the cab in itself last September as it is first come, first served for reservations for the following year. If we want to go next year, I'll have to try to book again in September. I'm kind of wondering if we might just go somewhere else. I'll think about it. Taking vacations when you live on a farm is a ticklish thing. We've left the farm for a few days without a babysitter, but that was when nothing much was going on. No births to look for or milking to do. With the badger just an hour away... She is good to come and stay here while we are gone for longer jaunts. Not that she has much to do on the farm. Feed the pets. Make sure the gates are closed. Check to see a goat does not have a head stuck in a fence. And collect the eggs from the hens. 10 to 14 days is about the maximum time the two of us can be gone. Fall and winter are ideal travel times for us to go as the garden is wound down, the goat kids are sold, and we can give the cows and adult goats a good chunk of grazing section and maybe even a round bale or two. And off we go, just like that. Glacier National Park is one of my September favorites, and we have hiked down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and stayed at the Phantom Ranch in December. Another December, we flew to Vegas and drove up to Zion National Park. That was fun. December is also a great time to go to Costa Rica, being on the tail end of the shoulder season between low and high season. And let me tell you, 
Reykjavik in January is an absolute delight. It was actually colder on the farm than in Iceland. I'm happy to say that it's finally begun to rain, nice and steady. I know the cows are loving the cool and refreshing rain, keeping the flies off their faces. The goats are all packed into the old goat barn like a bunch of sardines. Pasture grasses are giving an audible sigh of relief as the roots are drinking up the rain. In fact, I can hear the slurping from inside the house. I guess I won't have to water the garden tomorrow, but I bet the summer squash will be four times the size I last saw. I've been picking them down to the nubbins, as I know I always miss one or two. The blackberries are still coming in, and I have five or six gallons of berries in the freezer. In a couple months, when it's cooled down, I'll get the steamer juicer out and make blackberry juice, canning it up by the quarts. Our old goat expert friend Frank loves the blackberry juice mixed with a San Pellegrino Limonata soft drink. I have to say, the combination of blackberries and lemon is quite nice. Frank is 92, and until recently, he drove himself all over hell and back from his home in San Marcos, Texas. He hopes to come up in September to speak at a Savannah Goat Conference here in Springfield, and will stay with us as he always does, planning his trips to make it so. I first met him via emails when we moved from Virginia, and I asked him advice on what we needed to do to move goats across the country. Over the years, we've become friends and look forward to his visits. Dr. Frank has lived quite the life, and his stories never disappoint. Imagine being an 18, 19-year-old corpsman and being assigned to be a surgical tech in labor and delivery. Talk about a shock for a young Texas kid. His mama was so upset she contacted her local congressman to get her boy reassigned. He didn't need to be seeing that stuff. Maybe it's that shared midwifery experience that makes us such good friends, but who knows? That and the goats. Well, that should wrap things up from where I sit. The rain is easing off a bit. I'm going to go out and see how much we actually received and check out the radar for more. Until next time, take care. Take care.